We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. They take a while. They're, they're going down the stretch. They're going to run after 10. Inside 30 overall. Love. Ooh. Top of the key. Oh! Big time delivery. What a game that was Saturday night between Carolina and Duke. Rarely, if ever, does a game of that magnitude with the hype surrounding it live up to that hype, but that one did. Uh, it nearly exceeded it. I'll get to the Final Four here shortly. During the Final Four, however, there was another big story that dropped. This one again from front office sports, A.J. Perez, uh, getting more specific as to what the financial impropriety that was alleged uh, in front of the House uh, Reform and Oversight Committee. Uh, and the report was specifically that uh, someone had alleged uh, in front of Congress that Washington was skimming off the top of the 40% of the ticket revenue, which by NFL uh, bylaws, uh, is paid back to the league. I didn't know that, actually. So you take in 100% of the ticket revenue, you keep 60% of it, 40% goes back to the league to be dispersed among all 32 teams. And the report was that Washington's been skimming off the top of that 40%. So they've been they've been sending them less, sending less back to the league um, than the 40%. A.J. Perez, who wrote that story for Front Office Sports, is going to join us next. Um, you'll hear from him. And then my good friend Howard Gutman uh, will join us, and we'll get his thoughts on that uh, as well. I've got a few thoughts on that, which I'll get to here in a moment. Um, but first, Ben Standig uh, just came out with a story. Um, and part of that story is that Ron Rivera tells The Athletic, our good friend Ben Standig at The Athletic, that no teams have reached out to Washington about a possible trade for Terry McLaurin. And, quote, we wouldn't entertain it, closed quote. Anyway, so um, those of you that maybe maybe read about DK Metcalf being available over the weekend, that Seattle was shopping, shopping him, even though Jeremy Fowler – from ESPN shot that down. Um, at least based on what Ron Rivera says, nobody's reached out to Washington and they wouldn't entertain it. Anyway, Ben had a really good story this morning. He always does. Um, but this one was really about 
uh, the wide receiver market and Terry McLaurin's contract extension. And one of the other quotes that he had from Ron Rivera last week regarding an extension for Terry McLaurin is that he said, quote, I think the biggest thing is just telling everybody patience. We've got plenty of time, closed quote. Um, yeah, they do, but man, there's been a lot of wide receiver activity. Hasn't there been, I mean, the Adams and Hill trades, uh, the big money for obviously Payne and Hill off of those trades, the big money for a guy like Christian Kirk, um, Godwin, you know, Mike Williams, etc. Um, there's just been a lot of, of wide receiver activity. Seahawks GM, John Schneider, um, Ben had this quote, uh, in his story, quote, Schneider said, I was talking to my buddies about it the other night, and we were like, holy shit, man. It is what it is now, uh, right? This is the market. We'll get to that when we get to it. There is a bit of, whoa, then you've got to figure it out. Okay, where's the cap going? What's it going to look like? How do you build your team? We do that every day, close quote. But he was referring to just the nuttiness around the wide receivers uh, in particular, um, and then there was another quote that I wanted to read uh, in uh, in Ben's story, um, and it's about uh, a league exec weighing in on Terry McLaurin's value. Here it is. Um, this uh, from a prominent agent not affiliated with Terry McLaurin, quote, whether you think he's worth it, he's been a number one receiver. If Terry is the most productive receiver for the Washington Washington Commanders, then he's going to command wide receiver one money, closed quote. Well, that's a given, right? You know, that is an absolute given that he's going to get wide receiver one money. The issue is how high does he go up in wide receiver uh, one money? Um, Washington can tag... Terry McLaurin next year. By the way, over the cap projects, according to Ben's story, the 2023 wide receiver tag to be at 20.1 million. That's actually not the average of the top five right now after the Adams and the Hill deals were done. So I'm not sure where that number comes from. The, the, the average of the top five is actually closer to 24 million. Um, but anyway, um, uh, you know, Rivera said, we're, we're mapping things out as an organization. We're, pre- we're prepared for all of that stuff. Uh, he also said, by the way, there's, um, <laughs> there's a quote that I love Ron. I do, but sometimes he kind of states the obvious here and talking about Carson Wentz's $28.3 million towards the salary cap for next year, which is the sixth highest among starting quarterbacks next year. He said, quote, what's interesting and people got to understand, when you add a quarterback, especially Carson with his situation and his cap impact, we had to reset. Uh, But we haven't forgotten about what our priorities are as far as our football team is concerned. Yeah, of course. You know, part of the resetting was, sorry, Matt Ioannidis, we got to release you. Sorry, Eric Flowers, we got to release you. You know, part of that was the reset. Well, we all understood that when we saw it. You're taking on that whole $28.3 million cap hit, and that's going to impact what you're able to do here in this offseason. You know, if they were as high on Carson Wentz as they claim they are, talking about him being a multi-year answer, well, then they would have restructured the deal 
to keep Matt Ioannidis and keep Eric Flowers. Maybe not, I don't maybe not both of them. Maybe they didn't want either one of them. But they would have restructured Wentz at this point to create more space in general. Um, anyway, uh, Ben's always got some really, really good information in his story, um, in his stories. But the, uh, the news really more than anything was nobody's called about Terry McLaurin and we wouldn't entertain trading him anyway. So, um, on the front office report from Saturday, we're going to talk to AJ Perez. You're going to hear uh, everything he has and more. Okay, I recorded this interview with him, so I, I already know what you're going to hear, and you're going to hear more than what you read in the report um, from him. But let me just begin with this: when I read this um, on Saturday, the first thing I did is I tweeted out. Man, if they get Snyder on this, this is like the equivalent of getting Al Capone on tax evasion. Um, obviously, most of you understand uh, the thought there, and that is with you know the sexual harassment allegations and the misogynistic workplace stuff and the bullying and the intimidation and all the horrific stuff that we've heard, and they haven't gotten them on that. Wouldn't it be ironic if they got them on skimming, you know, maybe a million bucks, you know, million and a half bucks off the top? of the ticket revenue owed to the league each year. Keep in mind, they basically get a check for like $300 million plus from the television deal, Um, which leads me to this. Um, I'm not skeptical at all about the reporting. I believe that there was somebody, and we'll get to that somebody's name here in a moment uh, because Daniel Kaplan from The Athletic was on the radio show this morning and wrote about it. Um, I'm not skeptical about the reporting that the House Oversight and Reform Committee has heard from somebody who has alleged financial impropriety and even specifically that the uh, financial um, malfeasance was they were skimming off the top of what they owed the league in ticket revenue. I'm just skeptical that the team did it. And I'm skeptical because the math just doesn't add up for me. Now, They've done bad and a lot worse for a lot less. I understand they're capable with their impulsivity and their lack of, you know, sort of good decision making of making some really horrific decisions for not a lot of money. I mean, remember the suing of the grandmother, the the season ticket holder, which they netted like $40,000 or whatever it was. I mean, for hideous public relations. Anyway. If you do the math on this, and this is the allegation that they're skimming off the top, and in essence, he's cheating his 31 partners, the the other 31 owners, which, if true, yes, that could really be a problem for him, you know, because it's, first of all, it's easier to prove um, than, say, a hand on a thigh underneath a table at a meeting, um, and you're cheating your other 31 partners, Um, But Tommy always says, and he's used this expression for years, is the juice really worth the squeeze? Well, do the simple arithmetic on this. Washington generates, with their poor ticket sales, second worst in in the league last year and the year before, um, they generate roughly $40 million in average annual ticket sales to their games much lower than most of the other teams in the league, but it's, a, it's at around $40 million. If we think this happened last year or the year before, recently, 
um, you know, it's $40 million. And the years before that, it wasn't a lot more because ticket sales weren't great those years either. They've, they've really been in decline, in major decline from a ticket sales standpoint since 2015, roughly 2016. Really following the 2017 season, it really started to fall apart. Um, but anyway, um, if it's $40 million in annual ticket revenue that the team generates... 40% of that due back to the league. It's actually um, net of the expenses associated with selling the tickets, but let's just go with a flat 40% means that they would owe the league in a given year, all right, um, roughly $16 million, which then, by the way, gets dispersed among all 32 teams. Washington's getting money back from all the other thir- uh, 31 teams that are doing the same thing. Um, but anyway, um, if you consider the possibility that they were skimming off the 40%, so let's just say the $16 million, they weren't sending $16 million, million to the league. They were skimming 10% off that number, $1.6 because you skim much more than that. It becomes kind of obvious. For $1.6 million a year, would you really risk, you know, cheating your other 31 partners and perhaps the punishment or you know the the reaction to that that your 31 partners would have to you for 1.6 million dollars it's peanuts to them so that makes me skeptical of the allegation again not of the reporting but of the of the specific allegation um, again, they're capable of doing dumbass shit. We know that. They've been doing that for years. But wow. Um, and then, you know, I've learned a couple of things um, today, even after I recorded these interviews with A.J. Perez and with Howard Gutman that you're going to hear. First of all, these audits that the NFL does on things like ticket revenue, the 40% of the ticket revenue that's owed, um, to the league. Those audits are done like every three to four years. Um, and so, you know, they come in and they're, th- those audits are specifically done um, to make sure that the league is getting back the appropriate amount of revenue. The teams obviously audit themselves for tax purposes every year. The league comes in every three to four years to audit it, audit the, the teams, and I was told that you know this is a specific and a very important part of the audit process to make sure that the league is getting back the correct amount from the teams from their ticket sales. Nothing else, by the way, that they sell you know con- concessions, parking. All of the other revenues, corporate sponsorship revenue, none of that actually applies here. It's just 40% of the ticket sales, and not even all tickets apply. Um, but that uh, I was told these audits are done every three to four years, and that's a, a real important part of the audit. And then what typically happens at the end of these audits is that the teams are given the number that what they call they have to true up on. It's a true up number. It's like, actually, after auditing, you guys owe us X amount. And then they true up. And the average amount uh, when, you know, let's just say an audit's done every three years and then the league does the audit and then they go back to each individual team and they'll say, you know what, this is what we found. You owe us X amount more. 
And the average amount of what teams typically owe when they true up at the end of this audit every three years is like $400,000. And that Washington's number in the last audit that was done was considerably less than that. So the league audited them, audited them and, and the, the number that they owed after the audit was much less than the league average. I was told that from a very reliable source. I was also told that the gentleman that Daniel Kaplan wrote about this morning, um, who was the uh, actual whistleblower, if you will, that's probably the wrong term in this case, but the person who alleged uh, these financial improprieties in front of Congress was a gentleman by the name of Jason Friedman. Daniel Kaplan, the business reporter for The Athletic, wrote that Jason Friedman, a 24-year ticketing employee for the Commanders, whose employment the team terminated in 2020, testified in the past two weeks before the House Oversight and Reform Committee and alleged financial malfeasance at his former team, three sources said. Kaplan um, then writes, his secret testimony appeared to trigger stories last week that the committee, which is already investigating the commander's culture, would now probe the alleged financial improprieties and an allegation that commander's owner Dan Snyder had failed to share ticket revenue with his peers as required by the NFL. However, this is the Kaplan story. He came on the radio show with, with me this morning and reiterated all of this. However, Friedman supplied no evidence to back up his claims, one of the sources said, and it's not clear if he held a senior enough position to have access to the types of records that would back up those assertions, which have sparked renewed speculation about whether the NFL would force Snyder out. By the way, Friedman is represented by Lisa Banks, the lawyer who also represents over 40 women um, who have leveled uh, charges of sexual harassment against the team. Well, if Jason Friedman's name sounds familiar to you, Jason Freeman is the gentleman who corroborated one of Tiffany Johnston's two allegations. Not the allegation of Dan Snyder's hand being placed on her thigh underneath the table at a business meeting, but what happened later on that evening, um, he corroborated her story that she was nudged or pushed by Dan Snyder into his limousine um, to give her, her uh, give her a ride to her car. He wrote that letter, corroborated that story with the House Oversight and Reform Committee um, and with Mary Jo White, the, the woman who was investigating specifically on behalf of the league, the Tiffany Johnston allegations. So Jason Friedman is that person. Jason Friedman was with the organization for 24 years and was terminated in 2020. And from what I am told, um, you know, he was part of kind of the house cleaning that took place when sort of the new business regime entered. Jason Wright and all of the people that, you know, he hired to change that whole side of the building. You know, they've been cleaning house for a while now uh, on that stuff. Um, and he was one of the first to go. Um, I think it was, you know, uh, I, I had someone, a source tell me that, you know, there were a couple of them that were very obvious to Jason Wright and his team early on had to go, uh, that they were really a part of kind of 
the old way of doing business that they didn't want to be a part of the new way of doing business. So I bring it up because there's obviously the possibility that he may have an ax to grind. He may hold a grudge. Who knows? Um, Look, nobody wants this more than I do. I'm with all of you. I hope one of these things sticks, and I hope the league forces, you know, has the vote and forces them out. I just am a little bit skeptical about this stuff right now. Now, it doesn't mean that by the time you listen to this podcast, there won't be more. And I think you're going to really enjoy the A.J. Perez interview because he says there's more. Um, but that's coming up here in a few minutes. Let me switch subjects quickly to the final four. What a game Carolina Duke was. Um, it was, you know, 20 plus lead changes, tie after tie, big shot after big shot. Carolina wins the game. And the bottom line in all of this is that Carolina in the last month just had two wins that rank right up there, if you ask any North Carolina fan, with any of the championships that they've ever won. And they've won six of them. They're going for number seven tonight. Beating Duke uh, in Kay's final game at Cameron Indoor was what I was told by a, a Chapel Hill Carolina friend of mine, as thrilling as any win he could ever remember. The final four win probably even trumps that. Did you see the celebration in New Orleans? Did you see the throngs, the thousands, celebrating on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill? This was a massive win for Carolina. This was less unexpected than the first one that when they were an 11-point underdog, they were a mere four-point underdog on Saturday night. But wow, what a game. I mean, Caleb Love and R.J. Davis were so good for Carolina. That backcourt, you know, combining for 46 points. And by the way, between the two of them, they they played 40 and 36 minutes respectively. The shots Love hit in the second half, the floaters, the drives to the bucket, um, the the mid-range, the long range, he ended up with 28. Davis was sensational in the first half. You know, ended up with 18. And then, you know, Baycott, again, 21 rebounds. And he went out with that, you know, ankle injury late in the game, came back in, 21 rebounds following up on his 22 rebounds uh, in their Elite Eight win against uh, St. Peter's. 43 rebounds in his last two games in a 40-minute college basketball game. That's pretty hard. 11 points, 21 rebounds for Baycott. Uh, his ankle was definitely, you saw, you know, anybody that's ever rolled an ankle before, you know how painful that is primarily the next day. Um, but I would expect him to go tonight. Um, I thought the biggest mistake Duke made, I thought Bancaro should have taken more shots. He was 8 of 17 at 20 points, 10 rebounds. To me, it really looked like for most of the game, they could not guard him. Uh, I thought that he should have been the go-to guy on a lot of those possessions, and I think he should have ended up with you know seven to eight more shots. Um, and if he hits another four to five of them because he's unguardable or he gets to the free throw line, they're in better shape. Uh, you know, the foul trouble to Williams, the foul trouble to John, obviously didn't help Duke at all. But to me. Bancaro was 8 of 17. He was 2 for 4 from the free throw line. Ended up with 20 and 10 in the game. Two block shots also. 
I just think that he looked like the one guy on the floor more than anybody else on either team that could be could not be stopped from getting to the rim. Uh, and I thought he should have been the focal point on every possession. You know, Kay complained a little bit about some of the missed free throws. Mark Williams missed two big ones. Well, you know, Brady Manick missed three free throws in the final two and a half minutes of that game. Huge free throws he missed. Carolina was 17 of 24. Duke was 12 of 20 uh, in the game. Uh, the only thing missing from the game was overtime or a buzzer-beating last possession shot. You know, Carolina won by four. I was actually a little bit surprised on the final possession down 81-77. Um, the final shot of the game was put up uh, long range by uh, Trevor Keels. Um, and the rebound, R.J. Davis came down with the rebound with three and a half seconds left, and Duke just let him dribble out the clock. I don't know. I mean... It's a four-point game, three and a half seconds to go. That's still two possession. Even if he comes down and makes both free throws, it's still two possessions. And I just hate when that happens. I just never, you know, it's one thing if it's a six-point lead or an eight-point lead, but it's a four-point lead, and it's not one second. It's three and a half seconds after the miss. But anyway, the clock ran out, and then the celebration by Carolina ensued on the floor. And, And that's what I wanted to get to next. There was a lot of criticism of Duke players not hanging around and going through the handshake line, and they didn't. Um, Kay did. Uh, give him credit. He sat there, and you know, not only did he shake Hubert Davis's hands and some of the assistants that were there, but he waited for the players to come back from their celebration. I'm not going to criticize the Duke players uh, for not being uh, in that line. If you, there are so many shots of the celebration by the Carolina players when the uh, final horn goes off, and they're celebrating on the court for a minute, minute and a half. At some point, the other teams okay to turn around and say let them have their celebration let's you know we're not waiting around we're out of here we're not we're going to sit here and wait for you know three minutes until they're done celebrating on the floor for a handshake line you know it's just like when a court gets stormed you know you typically don't have the handshake line you try to get to the locker room not that the court was stormed but what an um on, on TV anyway, it was really an incredible atmosphere I mean that place was packed 70,000 at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. And it was just an outstanding uh, game. And most of you know this, as a longtime Maryland um, person, Maryland fan, Maryland alum, um, lifelong Maryland basketball guy, you know, it's right up there with the love that I've had previously for the Redskins. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that love, uh, that rooting passion has certainly diminished in recent years. But anyway, um, I, uh, I just loved it. I mean, if you're a longtime ACC fan and you've been on the wrong end of, the, of a bad whistle or a tough loss to Duke, the win at Cameron Indoor, you know, at the beginning of last month and the win here by Carolina in the Final Four – 
it just was sort of just a, a, an incredible way for Kay's career to come to an end with two losses to his arch rival. We had Mark Allery on the radio show on Friday, and he said there's there's a lot of on-edge nervousness because the floor is so low. It would be the worst loss ever to follow up the loss in the, in the regular season finale with a loss to your arch rival in the Final Four, and it happened. I did not think Duke played a tight game at all. I didn't think they were tight uh, in the game. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I want to say at the same time, and I've said this over the years, and some of you are like, oh, man, geez, such a Maryland, you know, Homer complainer and, you know, you're so jealous of Duke. Yeah, there is a lot of jealousy of Duke. There, and, but, but there's a lot of respect for Duke, too. But you have to understand for all of the other ACC teams, and in many ways Maryland more than any other, because we were all always this, you know, northern outpost, um, treated very much like, you know, the, the redheaded stepchild of the league. Um, and, you know, a lot of those painful losses over the years came at the hands of Coach K and Duke. Hell, one of the Duke losses came before Coach K, the 1980 ACC Tournament Final, um, when, uh, when Buck Williams was uh, undercut by Kenny Denard. On the on an Albert King, you know, shot with two seconds to go down one, and Buck Williams goes up for the easy tip in, and Kenny Denard completely takes uh, takes Buck out from underneath, and there's no call. Maryland was always on the short end of a lot of that stuff to Carolina for years too, um, but man, I can feel for. Uh, uh, the the Carolina fan base. I can only imagine how satisfying it is uh, and the last month has been. And it makes tonight's final against Kansas really anticlimactic, I think. I think if you told a Carolina fan before the weekend started, hey, you're going to beat Duke but lose to Kansas, will you take it right now? They'd probably take it. Um, I think Carolina's got a good chance tonight. Baycott's got to be healthy. It's a four-point line. I didn't really love either game Saturday. I told you I liked Villanova a little bit. I didn't, you know, play it. Um, and uh, I don't really like the game tonight. I really don't. Uh, if you forced me, I think I'd take the underdog or maybe take Carolina on a small money line bet. Um, but uh, I don't love the game either way. I'm looking forward to watching it, definitely. Um, but... Um, uh, I, I don't have a really good feel for it. You know, the, the first semifinal game Saturday, I mean, my God, did did Kansas shoot the lights out of it. I mean, they, look, Villanova went in that game undermanned without Justin Moore, um, but but Kansas uh, just shot lights out. They were 13 of 24 from behind the arc. They shot 54% from the floor for the game. And Agbaji was, you know, their first team All-American, six of seven behind the, the arc. Six of his first six in the game. I mean, Villanova made a couple of runs. I thought Colin Gillespie was great. I thought his competitiveness was off the charts. I thought Brandon Slater was great for Villanova. How about three Paul the Sixth players in the final four? Um, incredible. Um, but uh, all of those players are gone now, and now it's Kansas versus North Carolina for the national championship tonight. Okay, when we come back, uh, we'll talk to A.J. Perez and then Howard Gutman after that. We'll get to those two interviews right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Rate us and review us, please, on Apple and Spotify. All right. Uh, The big news uh, from over the weekend uh, was reported by A.J. Perez. A.J. is the senior reporter for Front Office Sports, but he has been with USA Today and Fox, uh, CBS Sports, uh, NewJersey.com. You can follow A.J. on Twitter at Perez. Uh, We talked about the report, AJ, that you had the other day that talked about um, more of, uh, in specificity, the financial improprieties that Congress was looking into, um, the two books that were perhaps being kept. Uh, But then you dropped a lot more specifically on Saturday night, right during the Final Four, uh, in fact, that created um, a lot of response, I'm sure, for you and, and certainly in the community of of Washington football fans uh, that I'm always uh, communicating with as well. Everybody wanted to know more about this story. Is it true? I'll start with letting you talk about specifically what you reported on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. Yeah, well, they, um, the under the, the NFL bylaws, this is all part of the CBA as well, some of this is, uh, that you're, um, you have to share 40% of, of the net um, attendance. So that's, there are some exceptions for PSLs and sometimes luxury suites get waivers. But basically, 40% of the, of the, of the, let's say the commanders have a home game. They get to keep 60% of the net revenue. 40% of the net revenue has to go to the league. The league then disperses that money to the visiting teams. 
Um, and uh, we had we reported it was that. No, you're right. I, I started reporting this. I had inklings of this on Friday. I had more confirmation for Saturday, then got more and more confirmation later Saturday. So I, I was writing the most of the day, and we, my editor is like, "Are we going to go in this or the, you know go in this now?" I'm like, "Yeah, what the heck? We'll see what happens." And I did not expect it to to take off as it did between the two final four games, uh, but it did, and it was you know, and it's 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 got a life. It's kind of had it's had a lot of legs. Um, but yeah, so there's uh, there there was somebody who testified to this committee, um, and uh, and actually did more than testifying. Um, there was some information handed over as well um, that that claimed that the, that that the team um, was holding back some of that forty percent. Um, we don't, we know it looks like it was multiple seasons. We don't know exactly how long it ran. We don't know who authorized it. Definitely don't know for sure that Dan Snyder had any part of this. But I think that's going to be part of this investigation. It is part of this investigation. And um, they, uh, the uh, House Oversight Committee is continuing to look into this. Okay. You said a couple of things there, um, and you answered a couple of future questions, but I'll probably re-ask them anyway. So bear with me. So this person that gave Congress this information, um, it was reported earlier this morning, and you know about this report because we talked about it right before we started, yeah. and I actually had this gentleman, Daniel Kaplan, on my my radio show this morning, Daniel is the business reporter uh, for The Athletic. He reported that the person that supplied all the information that's created the recent reporting from you in the Washington Post was Jason Friedman, a 24-year ticketing employee um, of the Commanders. Uh, a lot uh, of people listening to this right now will remember that Jason Friedman was the one who wrote the letter to Congress to corroborate Tiffany Johnston's allegation, not both allegations, but the one allegation about being nudged or shoved or, you know, swayed or, or influenced into Dan Snyder's limousine. He did not corroborate the story of the hand on her thigh, which she, uh, was her other allegation um, in, her, uh, in her discussion in that roundtable uh, day back on February 3rd. Um, but Friedman's um, testimony, which Kaplan writes, triggered all of these stories, including yours. Um, he wrote that Friedman, uh, according to his sources, supplied no evidence to back up his claims, um, and it's not clear if he held a senior enough position to have access to the types of records that would back up the assertion, uh, assertions. So I'll start with this. Do you know that it was Jason Friedman, or was it beyond Friedman or somebody else that was this? You know, was the person that brought this information with respect to financial improprieties to the House Oversight and Reform Committee? I can't. Yeah. Well, it was basically we're going. Yeah, which it, it was. Jason Friedman was my the person who I knew um, uh, that testified. I know there were a couple others that I also know that have that have not uh, been. Uh, mentioned in any stories, but yeah, Jason Friedman was 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 there. He was the person I kind of referred to it. He was referenced by the GOP statement, right? Um, but my sources, uh, my sources say that he that there that there was information turned over, and it, I can't get into exactly what. And I haven't deal. I don't have no idea what it all entails. But I was told that it was um, it was fairly substantial, um, and to the point where that it's hard it'd be even i know his, his his testimony happened days ago and i don't even know if, they, if the committee is they do a lot of different investigations at once i don't even know if the, if the committee has gone through all of it that that friedman provided okay um that's why i so 
so that's kind of why I knew I knew this was coming. I because I my Kathleen and I talk to the same people a lot of the time. I knew I knew this was coming. I knew that my my report was going to be questioned. But here's the thing: this was all the what these other sources are relying on are are the deposition, the testimony from the deposition that was taken. It was basically a transcript of what Friedman said. What what was turned over is not on that transcript. It was not even referenced. So that you that you have to that's kind of the part of this whole thing. It's you have to kind of parse some stuff. Yeah, and let me make sure that I'm clear on this. You know, and I've I said this on the radio show this morning, the post reporting and your reporting I mean that that the House Oversight Committee received information that alleges that the you know the commanders kept ticket revenue. There's nothing that Kaplan said this morning that would dispute that that you know information yeah. um, was there. Um, it's just that he had sort of the response from a source that said um, that uh, that there was an evidence, and what you're saying is that there was evidence that was handed over. By Friedman, do you you also just suggested that perhaps more than Friedman would have information with respect to this? Let's just call it, for the lack of a better description, right now scheme. Are they going to be asked to come forward? I mean, I've talked to people. The committee haven't hasn't, and uh, from what I've from what I've obtained, it uh, there's it doesn't point back to Snyder. None of this goes up. You know, it's it's. You know, but there's there's other things that went on in that ticket office and other parts of, of the organization that don't happen anywhere else in the NFL. I can I could say that with fair a good good degree of certainty. Um, and uh, from there, it's uh, it's is this gonna you know this this rise the level of a crime? No idea. I mean, we're so early on. I haven't seen anything that um, anybody's turned over to the committee. Uh, well, that's not yeah. I see. I haven't seen everything. I should say um, if that's switched over, over over to the committee. Um, but I, from what I have seen, um, I, and this is going outside what um, what was turned over by this uh, by by Friedman because I have no idea uh, exactly what it was. But um, I see I see stuff that 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 went down that's troubling. It was it troubling enough to get Snyder in trouble? I don't know. The, you know the the, the uh, it's we're still kind of early on in this kind of new part of this investigation and the. And um, and uh, so we really don't know exactly where it's going to lead. And some of these financial things take so long to track down. Um, th- this this is so interesting. It's like as I'm listening to you talk, I'm trying to write down things that you're saying because it, it creates more questions for me anyway. Um, and I'm not sug- and I and I don't know if you are going to be able to provide the answers or not. But when you say there are things that went on in that ticket office that didn't go on anywhere else are you implying that it's more than just p- perhaps skimming off the top of the 40 percent owed back to the league uh yeah i mean oh, there's just like there's season ticket i can't get into it right now because i'm still chasing it but there's information provided to me that that um that that kind of laid out how some how some ticket season ticket holders were uh, we're, uh, well, I can't really say more until my lawyers talk about it. But well, yeah, I mean, talk to my lawyers at, at, I mean, my, our, my lawyers at my, my office first, right, before I, uh, sure. that. Well, but, I mean, I, yeah, there, but it's, it's, it, it, it was nothing. I would say it's nothing. It was not sexual, sexual harassment wise. It was nothing like that. It was, it was, it was about numbers and about, it was about accounting. Um, and I can't say more until my lawyers and I talk about <laughs> my next story. So, um, so I get ahead of myself. Okay. Well, you also just said that, 
and I want to make make sure I heard this correctly, that none of it necessarily points back to Snyder directly. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, there's so far, and I, that's why we, on, on Saturday, I don't think Snyder was, was in the story until the fifth or sixth paragraph. It, it's none of this, as far as, far as I, as my reporting, I'm not saying what was, what was given to the Oversight Committee connects Snyder to it, very possible. But for my reporting, I cannot... I cannot say with certainty that uh, Snyder even had a, had a, had knowledge of this, let alone directed it. But that's we. Oh, I only have a small sliver of information that the that the um, oversight committee has. Okay, so we're we're talking to AJ Perez. He's been on. You know, he's been at the forefront here over the last couple of days. The reporting from Front Office Sports. And so, um, you know, as I'm trying to summarize as we're going through this. You know, it is perhaps more than just skimming off the 40%. Um, that there is more than perhaps, um, you know, Daniel Kaplan at The Athletic that was turned over in, in the form of evidence by Jason Friedman, at least one of the people that has spoken to it. There are others that potentially will or can speak to this. Um, here's something that wasn't covered in your report, and maybe it's because you don't have the answer, but I'm curious because I think the, the math exercise, let, let me back up. First of all, like most lifelong fans, like perhaps 99.5% of them, I'm rooting for all of this to be true. You know, I want this 22 and a half year nightmare to end. And when I saw your story on Saturday, that was the first time in a long time that I've read anything where I said, if he's cheating these other 31 partners, this could really be it. Um, But at the same time, doing just simple back-of-the-envelope math, it's like, okay, 40% of – because you put what what Green Bay's – overall gross yeah. uh, per you know per year was and it was like 77 million. So, you know, given Washington's attendance is probably a little more than half of Green Bay's at least in the last year. Let's just call it 40 yeah. 40 million. 40% of that is 16. If you're skimming is that 10%, you know, let's say it's 20% and it's 3.2 million. That's peanuts. And that's that I was in yeah. and, and so for me, it's like, they're, look, we know they're stupid, and we know they, they do a lot of stupid things and impulsive things. I mean, they sued, you know, a 75-year-old grandmother season ticket holder for crying out Actually, loud. I have a story on that. I have a story on that. I would have, I would have sued her, too. I, I, this, this is the hilarious thing about this reporting <laughs> over the last two weeks. I'm, 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 I'm hearing things that debunk and make Sarah look good. Okay. That, including that grandmother lawsuit, it's like I talked to people. I'm like, wow, I probably would have sued her too. Okay, and I just, it's like, so yeah, so it's like, some, I'm, I'm trying to be fair, and I've talked to everybody I can for for the last two or three weeks before the owners' meetings and, and after. That was one of my little nuggets there. I just wanted to drop. Well, let me just say, without knowing anything about the suing of the grandmother, as long as we're on that subject, um, I, I would say that you know I think somehow they ended up winning the case for like forty thousand dollars or something like that. Whatever it was, I forget what the number was. It's years now since that. Well, she that, was in bankruptcy, so she had that. So she had that protection. 
Okay, so so they they didn't get dime one of it, but what they did get was a ton of shitty publicity from it. So I, I oh yeah yeah it, it, it was not good for PR at all. Yeah, so I uh, maybe she deserved to get sued, but actually doing it may not have been you know the best decision. They're impulsive; they've been that way over the years. But I don't yeah. want to get into that. Yeah. Doing the back of the envelope uh, back of the envelope math on what they could have possibly be, be been skimming. Are, am I in the neighborhood? Like this seems like peanuts. Why would why it would is. they do I it? Mean, it? It's a couple. I mean, if you look at the overall revenue, I think it's two hundred million dollars a year each team does from uh, from the just the national TV package. Uh, it's it's, it's three it's three hundred million plus from the TV dollars, yeah, isn't it? Three hundred now. Yeah, that, yeah. That kicks in. Yeah, the next one's going to be kicking in in uh, July August. Right. Um, yeah. So it's going to go up. Um, so that we're talking about one percent of that, it less perhaps be less than that. Probably less um, than that's that. way less than that. So it's you're, you're looking at maybe a few hundred thousand dollars per season. Now, if how long this went on, you know, and I know how they did it from what I my sources tell me, it wasn't a wholesale. They weren't skimming every game. They weren't skimming. It it, it, it wasn't according to my sources. Allegedly, they weren't skimming every game. They were they would use certain. Certain big games, and those big games appear to be when the Eagles and the Cowboys come to town, because <laughs> that's when the ticket demand goes up. So whenever a whatever a team with a big road presence, you know, this is when they were doing it, and uh, and it was kind of it was not an across the board thing. It was actually very targeted, and they had and I don't know who ordered it. And this is all this is all alleged. Um, I don't. I don't know how much they took in every single time and how many, how long this ran. I do know how it worked. Um, I just don't want to burn my sources, uh, but I do know how they did it. Well, I mean, what you're saying leads me to believe that it's one of two things. Like, it's under-reporting the actual gate, which would be one way to do it, right? Uh, is to under-report yeah. the actual tickets, you know, sold, and by the way, the irony of the Dallas and Philadelphia games is that it's mostly road fans anyway at those games here over the last couple of years. Um, by the way, I, I lost my train of thought because the question that I wanted to ask was, how long have they been doing this? We have no idea. I don't know. It sounds multiple seasons. I do know uh, kind of a time frame. Unfortunately, my, one, of the, one of the executives who was there at the time deleted his LinkedIn, so I don't know. <laughs> that has made it my that, that happened yesterday. Uh, I don't want to say who, but um, you know, I've been reaching out to so many people, and words got around, and some people are hiding. Um, so uh, that we don't know how long it went on. We don't know how much money it took in. We don't know, uh, you know, exactly who ordered it yet. I, you know, this is all. You know, I don't know. Just because I don't know doesn't mean Congress doesn't. Um. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I. If it's recently, then we're talking about a much lower gate number, you know. And by the way, you said a couple of hundred thousand dollars, which is even less than what I was doing, which wasn't significant either. But let's just go with, you know, a million dollars a year is somehow if they were pulling off this scheme, you know, even if it's for the last, even if it's, if it's for every year and there would have been no reason for him to do this, you know, when they were making money yeah. hand over fist for the first 10, 12 years. So it's probably a more recent phenomena. It's really... It ultimately is peanuts, but they're either under-reporting the gate if they pulled it off, or they're just le legitimately skimming off the reported gate. Now, how does that get by, 
you know, the auditors, or legitimate auditors, E&Y, Price Waterhouse, whoever they use, they use big, big auditors. Yeah, BDO. They had BDO's, BDO's the big one okay. um, that they use. But, they, but, but you, yeah, so Ernst Young and others are involved, too. So, yeah, they, it's like, it's like there, there are two audits. There's audit every year the NFL teams have to do every at the end of their fiscal year, and it varies by team. That or they leak sends in people through you know, BDO, Ernst Young, whatever. They uh, then they check the books. Um, they're there for a few days at Ashburn and whatever. The funny thing is, the ticket office is at FedEx, so this uh, so that's a separate audit. So at the the um, NFL bylaws also call for an audit of the tickets, and so that's the whole thing. So not only are the financials of the of the team uh, vetted every single year, or audited every every year, so are so are these tickets. Uh, ticket sales. So I don't know. I mean, that's you can keep. We've seen auditing firms get things wrong going back to Bernie Madoff. So there's, yeah. you know, there's always uh, true. So there's always the there's always like room. You know, you're like, you know, I have like a couple sources have been telling me, and it's like we don't already know. When I send my taxes off to my CPA, I estimate certain things. I could ask, you know, that, and if my CPA doesn't say like, do you have receipts for this? You know, they, they they take your word for it. Now, I, I bet it works a lot differently to the NFL. You have to provide a lot more information than me to my 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 tax guy. But you know, I think there's you know there's always room to kind of uh, uh, there's always room for you know things to go wrong during the process. Yeah, as as my um, longtime radio partner and part time podcast partner Tom Lavero pointed out to me last week, he's like. I mean, Enron had Arthur Anderson auditing them, you know, so it, it, it does happen. Um, so let me back up a little bit, because your initial report before the Saturday report talked about two sets of books. Explain. Oh, that was basically, looks like it was a reference to what uh, Friedman uh, testified to. I think that initially, this was kind of, I, I had that. Um, and that was, it looks like it, 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 it was, uh, basically about free, this whole, um, what Friedman's, uh, testimony was to the, uh, the committee, keeping one book that for the NFL, one book for, got it. Okay. Uh, With respect in, to the, the 40% the actual book. That's story. what it looks like. Okay. Yeah. But there's also, but there, but there's some people outside of the ticket office who testified closer to, um, the hierarchy of the team that could have had some other testimony as well. I don't know exactly what that was. Because one of the first thoughts that I had before your story on Saturday about, you know, the skimming off the ticket revenue was somehow this goes back to the purchasing of the minority shares from Fred Smith and Dwight Shaw and Bob Rothman, the $875 million worth of 40%, you know, of equity. And maybe in the process there, they, you know, in the disclosure of financial information to, to settle on a price, maybe they provided them um you know bad information i th- that's what i thought does any of this have to do with that do you think um i think a lot of i mean the debt issue i wrote about on thursday is a concern among some uh but uh that that and that goes back to him getting the debt waiver a little over uh, now like 13 months ago almost to to buy out the three the 40 percent cost him nearly a billion dollars he had a financial dance that had a financial good chunk of that um, so that's, uh, so there, there's always that. I mean, I think that a lot of, yeah, there's going to be, and they, they were disgruntled. They had, they were, you know, they were, there was legal actions. They, there was arbitration going on with, you know, NFL media, NFL mediated ar- um, um, arbitration, NFL like sanctioned arbitration before this, be, before they were, they, the debt waiver was agreed to and the center bought them out. 
So there's probably still some, some ill will there. And I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think the three had a clear picture of what, what about any of this. I don't think, I think they, you know, they, for my sources, Snyder kept them, you know, gave them information when, when requested, um, but they may not have had the full financial picture um, for some of the stuff. And they, they, you know, they were suing him at the time. They dropped those lawsuits after their shares were yeah. purchased for, um, yeah. you know, the $875 million, putting it at, you know, roughly a $2.2 billion valuation, which, you know, when you're um, selling minority shares, they're going to be Very worth a well. lot less yeah. than, you know, if you're buying majority exactly. shares. Um Exactly. So you may not have the answer to this, but why why is the House Oversight Committee moving from primarily an investigation into sexual harassment and everything else associated with that over the last, you know, year and a half, the Wilkinson investigation, et cetera, which was, you know, basically sparked by the, you know, the, the Gruden Bruce Allen emails and whomever leaked those initially to the journal and then to the New York times. It's kind of ironic. Like, I don't think we'd be talking about any of this if that hadn't happened. Uh, and wouldn't, wouldn't it be incredible if Snyder was the leak? I mean, I don't know if he is or isn't, but there's, there's some dots that get connected there but anyway i digress why are they getting into this i mean why i mean why if jason friedman and others say well you know you asked me about you know tiffany johnston's allegations but you know get a load of this like why is that within their purview it's all within, you know, this is all, the NFL has an, 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 antitrust, an antitrust exemption. They've had it for decades. Right. And so whenever, whenever you know, so it's Major League Baseball and so in other sports. Uh, so whenever something like, you know, and, I, and not to sound harsh, but this is going to get media attention. Anything, anything when it comes to, um, you know, this team and obviously the horror, the horrors that have been detailed the Washington Post and other reports about what, what went on, especially towards women, uh, in the organization, you know, that's very important. And I think they can switch and they can, at any time they can, you know, alter their, their, uh, their, their investigation. Now they haven't so far had the issues subpoenas as far as I can tell uh, to get any more information on the financial side of it. Can they? Uh, I, can I, they? I to, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They can, they can. And they, they, they could even, whatever they find in, in theory, they could, they could forward any, anything, any, any illegalities to the, the, Department of Justice, yeah, right. You know, refer the case, and, but like we have with Clemens for lying to Congress many years ago, right. so that could happen. But I don't. We're, we're so far away, you know, from that. At least from what I can tell. Now, what I have, you know, and what I know is a small part of what Congress has. So, and I think that's the same for all reporters. This this committee does a very good job of keeping information siloed, um, and the fact that I knew. Ten days ago, about this, some of the stuff was pretty amazing. But I, you know, I was, I was walking, knocking, I was knocking on doors a couple weeks ago. So I had to, over Capitol Hill. So I kind of knew what was going on a little bit, but um, there's still, there's still so much going to come out. Um, last question, I think. Um, you, you know, you. Re- I, I got to run. So. I know. Well, that, well, then, then it will be the last question. Um, <laughs> So what's your gut on where this goes? Because you've already said that you're not sure and perhaps it doesn't tie back directly to Snyder. It probably gets lost in, you know, the CFO's yeah. office or some accountant's office. You know, where where is this headed? If if there's documentation, if there's 
But here's the thing. Uh, Dan Snyder never had an email. Corporate email never used email. None of this. So there's going to be out, the emails that 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 people have are none of them linked back that way to Snyder. Now it's that makes it harder. You know, did, did, if he did order anything and there's no proof right now that he did, you know, how do you prove that? That's going to be tough. Um, and but if it's if there's you know I, I could see them you know going after subpoena and subpoenaing is using their subpoena power. I'm sure which would I can guarantee you Dan would fight. Um, that, uh, that, uh, more information related to this. If, if they find the information turned over from Friedman, his testimony and whatever he turned over, uh, credible, you know, that's the next step. And I think there's other executives, former executives who are, who are, who are going to be interviewed. There's, there's, you know, if I'm getting new information, I'm sure, you know, Congress is as well. All right. Um, let's cut to the chase here. Cause this is what people really want to know from people like you who are talking to lots of different people. Anything that you're reporting, anything that you're working on, will it ultimately get him or not? Uh, no, I mean right now there, I've talk, Mike Florio and I have different. They talk to different owners. I don't see it as of right now. It, it, you, as you mentioned earlier, if it's a small percentage, will they just be fine? I mean, if in, you know, if regardless if Dan ordered it or not, that's if, if it indeed happened. You did, you did, you did hold back funds. You get fined. I don't think you'll lose. Maybe lose draft picks. I don't see any of this as of now. They would likely would not have gotten rid of Jerry Richardson. Jerry Richardson sold during the headache. There was, you know, a lot of people at the time just thought of a slam dunk that they would force him out as, as the Panthers owner. Looking back now, the people I've talked to the last few days, they don't even think Richardson would have been thrown out. Hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's, once you're an NFL owner, you're an NFL owner for life. There's, typically, you've got to do a lot, and it's never happened in the modern NFL. So it's in, so that puts Goodell puts Goodell in a bad position because he needs 24 votes to get Dan out. And while I think Florio's uh, and I don't want to doubt his reporting, Florio thinks that it's it's uh, you know from his reporting with the death nail on Sunday that's heading that direction. I just don't. It's gonna, it's going to take a lot to get there. And I just as of right now, uh, if this proves out, even I don't even know if this if if Dan if there's a smoking gun and Dan ordered it, which we don't know for sure. We don't know at all. And I don't have any inkling that Dan ordered this. Um, if, if he did, you know, that could get the, the ball rolling, but still, it's just going to take a lot. Thank you for doing this, AJ. I really appreciate it. No problem. AJ Perez, everybody, uh, senior reporter for Front Office Sports. Uh, at by AJ Perez. I would follow him on Twitter uh, because it certainly sounds like he's working on this story from a lot of different uh, fronts, and perhaps there's more to come, perhaps even by the time you listen to this podcast. I don't know, man. For me, I, I just, in listening to AJ and reading Daniel Kaplan earlier this morning and having him on the radio show, uh, and then just understanding that if it's just about the skimming of the ticket revenue, is that really, you know, he said a couple hundred thousand dollars, even if, if even if it's, if it's a million bucks, you know, a year, is that, uh, is that going to be enough to, to get three quarters of a vote to vote him out? Especially if he claims, Hey, this was, you know, certainly I had the, you know, uh, CEO and I was the overseer of all of this, but you know, just like with the sexual harassment stuff, I was kind of a uh, you know a passive owner. I mean, he's been continuing to make that claim of being kind of this absentee owner, you know. Uh, which, as I've said in the past, you know, they really struggle 
with kind of the calendar math. He likes to act like he's been an absentee owner over the last, you know, 10 years when Bruce came in as to sort of pass the buck to Bruce. But most of the sexual harassment stuff uh, is pre-Bruce when Dan was very much involved uh, on a day-to-day basis. And who really believes that he's been, you know, an absentee owner? Uh, certainly uh, RG3, Dwayne Haskins, Draft Night, etc. cetera, uh, would be proof uh, to the contrary. Anyway, um, we'll see. Uh, Howard Gutman. I want to get Howard's thoughts on this. He'll join us next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Howard Gutman is our guest now. Howard's one of my favorite people to have conversations with. Many of you have really enjoyed him in the past when he's on with us. He, of course, was Barack Obama's ambassador to Belgium uh, for many years. Longtime D.C. attorney um, and now a frequent contributor to the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, which we love. Um, and you and I were texting back and forth since Saturday night on this. And I said, just, just come on the show. So I have updated you on the Daniel Kaplan story from the athletic and the interview that I just did with AJ Perez. I'm just going to let you take, uh, I'm just going to let you take it and run with it. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Your reaction to all of the reports over the last few days. So Kevin, first of all, I'd love to have the movie rights between sex um, and financial fraud uh, and the politics of Washington. It's a great story. <laughs> the problem is you can't make a movie without knowing the ending. And the ending might be a lot of disappointment for those listeners who would hope the ending led to the end of Dan Snyder. Because this one, sexual harassment, we got kind of all around it. There was a horrible, horrible atmosphere in the club. But we never got to the Danny himself, you know, quite crossing a line with an individual. Then we saw Jerry Jones and others had their problems. So it looks like it moved on. Two sets of books, getting a little more spy novel here, um, and skimming. But when you step back, 
you've got to be at least skeptical. We'd have to see more. So where does this come from? Lisa Banks is a fabulous lawyer. Um, if I if I had something done wrong with me, I would go to the Katz and Banks law firm and see if they could pound the opposition for as long and as hard as they could till they screamed uncle and wrote a huge check and were shown to be the wrong people. But uh, she has a, a stable of clients united by the fact that they all feel they were wronged by uh, the Redskin organization and Dan Snyder. Um, and each one now kind of remembers what they can remember and offers up maybe this helps and maybe that helps. So one of her clients, Jason Friedman, is a male. We don't know that he's ever had a sexual harassment allegation uh, against him, but that he felt probably mistreated as an employee or maybe that he got terminated for, for cooperating in some of these sexual harassment investigations, but he has solidly been on the Lisa Banks and her client's side. He is a client against Dan Snyder. Uh, he's the person who says, I saw Dan put his hand on Tiffany Johnson's back, leading her to the limousine. So Jason now, he was in ticket sales. He was in customer relations and ticket sales through 2020, and he was terminated. And by the way, um, I know nothing about the person, but on LinkedIn, he's had a consulting position since, but he doesn't seem currently employed. And he now is a plaintiff in the lawsuit uh, and said, obviously, that there's something wrong with the reporting of the ticket revenues, two sets of books and some shenanigans. That's kind of what we know. We know the Republican counsel on the House Oversight Committee said this is just a disgruntled employee, nothing here. Um, so um, we now know there's two sides of the story. And what could it be? It could be any of a continuum. I doubt Jason Friedman's making something up out of whole cloth. Um, people don't really do that because it doesn't get far. I doubt, I really doubt, Dan Snyder was waking up and saying, I wonder if I could keep an extra 100000 or million dollars at the expense of the NFL and risk my hundreds of million, my um, $4.5 billion franchise because I've skimmed... 100,000 or a million or 5 million, not, not the Danny style, doesn't make sense. And how do you get away with that without Bruce Allen knowing or Jason Wright knowing? Um, so not likely there. Jason, if that were true, if what Jason Friedman were saying were true, that someone was waking up at night, sticking you know the receipts in the rooftop, cutting the register tape and coming up with two sets of books, <laughs> Jason Wright would have been following the Brian LaFamina, Damon Jones Express out of town. He would have been gone the minute he heard that, um, because that would be the end. And by now, you'd see something at the NFL. So I doubt it's that. So what's it likely to be? Are there different ways of reporting receipts and tickets? Are there two sets of books? Are there three sets of books? That wouldn't surprise me. There can be books for reporting to the league. There can be books for reporting to the IRS. There can be books for reporting to minority partners. Right. That all depends on the terms of your agreements. What do you get to deduct is what's of relevance to the IRS. What's the league formula is of relevance to the league. And what's the agreement with the minority partners would be of relevance there. 
And I suspect Jason Friedman knows about that. And then the question is, how, let's use this word, how aggressive was Danny compared to other owners in reporting his revenues to the league and what deductions exist? And um, how fair was he in the audit process? Because I can tell you one thing, the place he will get in trouble is if the, the documents he showed to the annual audits of his figures for the league are different than uh, the documents he would now claim are the, are the right odds because he was just aggressive. But if he didn't tell them he was being aggressive or they didn't see the figures, they would have some trouble. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with all of that. Now, A.J. Perez suggested that, you know, there is more, that people have more information and there's more coming about practices in their ticket office that weren't done anywhere else in the league. And, you know, uh, he, he wasn't at liberty to really talk about that, but he, uh, it kind of sounded like that could be, you know, the next wave of stories, perhaps, even though his belief was that, and he said it multiple times, you know, his reporting at this point doesn't have any of it pointing back to actual, you know, to, to Dan Snyder, that it essentially gets caught up in accounting and the CFO's office and, 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 and that's where, you know, it perhaps ends. So, um, a, what else could be, uh, you know, a ticket practice that is much different than the rest of the league that could get him in trouble? Um, th- that's A. Then B, I, I kind of have this sense that Dan, who's claimed absentee owner multiple times, which, you know, of course isn't true, you know, if something even comes of this, that it would be kind of minor in terms of overall value, um, even though it is, a, you know, it, it is – you know, you could describe it as cheating his other 31 partners, but it just seems like it would be another situation. It might lead to another fine. Um, but anyway, um, what do you think? The... Take... Yeah, go ahead. Let me take the two of them. Let's do the second one first, which is, does this, does this stop with a CFO or is it just a ticket practice and it doesn't get to Danny? Or if it does, it's a fine for the, the club. I, I, I'm not, I don't think that's likely. If the CFO is going to make an aggressive judgment on how to report this, that's something that he likely will review with Danny. I agree with that. If only because the CFO wants credit for how much he got to save the club. Sure, sure. Right. Why would the CFO come up with a, a smart interpretation and not get the credit because Danny, if he only sees the bottom line, just thinks they sold more tickets for the line. Well, unless, so, the, unless the CFO was working on some sort of personal incentive, um, that, that could be one of the reasons. But go ahead. Yeah, you'd have a lot of trouble if your if CFO, who's in charge of the accuracy of your financial reporting, yeah. had, had personal compensation based on how well he could do that reporting, that would be its own financial violation, sure. I, I, I assure. So Danny's probably involved, but then the, quest, the question is, what kind of things can there be? And I'd love to now know, and I'm sure the league is, knows this, but is checking. So there, is, there are rules about revenue, um, and there can be different components of revenue. It's forced parking. Um, and is, it, may be, it may be when they, how, when they sell the season tickets in packages. 
um, are they attributing certain of these to things that are cost versus revenue based? So you might pay you might pay family of six package, three hot dogs, um, a ticket, and and this. Or in your skybox, it can include um, the food and the like. There are more re- issues of is this a revenue from the game, um, and is this an exp- is there an expense that is set off? And I suspect there are endless rules in the league about interpreting every one of these, but we know it just from the other rules in the league. As soon as there's a rule about um, how long you have to hold possession before you go out of bounds, someone makes a kind of catch that defies the rule, and they can't figure it out again. Well, the same with their financial rules. So um, is there something where, Danny, either because of how they charge particular groups how they charge their season tickets or charge particular groups or group sales. Is there something where he says, you know, this was for the pregame promotion. This was for the sure. you get free boots uh, with your trip as opposed to revenue from the game. Yeah, like I'm listening to you and I'm also thinking of other things. One of the real criticisms we've all heard in this market from people who've been season ticket holders, you know, I'm talking about uh, people who I know that are, you know, uh, have have owned tickets through their corporation, big bulk seats, suites, you know, club seats, and then people who've just had a couple, you know, in the 400 section, the incredibly aggressive um, ticket selling to both existing customers and to new customers. And, you know, whether or not they cross the line in misrepresenting um, in their sales process. I mean, I'm not, you know, about to say that it's Purdue Pharma saying that Oxycontin isn't addictive or something like that. But we know that, you know, um, they have been super aggressive. Border, I mean, the, the stories you've heard over the years is just how many times various people get called and the pitches that they make and, and the, you know, the, the border line threats that are made. I mean, I'm wondering if it has something to do with their aggressive ticket selling, too, perhaps. That wouldn't speak to any sort of two-book system um, or or skimming off the top of revenue. The other thing uh, that Perez said was that it's his information that this was done on sort of an ad hoc basis, like it would be done for big games like Dallas or Philadelphia, but maybe not done for other games, you know, almost indicating this this was like a game-by-game thing. Um, that would be surprising to me if that's how the reporting was handled. Um, but anyway. That would, that would be surprising because it would indicate that they know they're doing something wrong. It would be a lot better if they took the policy that of a particular seat category, 15% doesn't go into revenue than if they did it when it really mattered but not otherwise. That would hurt them a lot. And as to aggressive seat selling, remember, I'm sure Dan and the CFO are aggressive, but this is a, a league of aggressive people. Tampa Bay this year, Kevin, if you and I want to buy a season ticket for Tampa Bay this year, we can't buy just one. If you want season tickets at the, at the Buccaneers this year, you have to commit for two years because if you want to see Brady's last year, they're going to sell next year when you've got maybe Gilbert Grape or whoever their quarterback will be next year That's as a quarterback. Gilbert. <laughs> Gary Gilbert, right? So they're, yeah. they're, got, Gilbert, they're yeah. leveraging this year's sales yeah. for next year's tickets. They all, they all do it. The question is how 
And is it aggressive, or is it what the NFL and the other owners will say, come on, you knew that, Tilly, that's improper. The other- and if they've got it, he'll have no support. If they can turn on him, they will. The other thing, too, um, and this is kind of you know uh, easy to, to look at, with respect to the one claim that they weren't reporting the right numbers, they were skimming off the top, if you will, you could all also just, because these are net revenues that they're turning over to the league. You know, a 40, the 40% is of their net. Um, so it's net of, you know, expenses, fees. I don't know what goes into it, but they could have inflated the expenses to just reduce the net revenue. Um, as you know, many a 10.99 uh, uh, does. You know, at the end of the year, when they're when they're looking at their expenses for the year uh, that went into the revenue that was generated. Uh, I, I who knows? Um, I just come back to one thing, Howard. I come back to we know they do stupid, impulsive things. But this would be such a small number if this is it. Now, again, AJ, um, you know, uh, suggested that there's more than just this in terms of financial impropriety. But um, this one, as a standalone, just wouldn't generate much benefit for the team. So with whether it's financial impropriety with regard to the rest of the league. So it's one thing, by the way, if if the way they reported also affected their tax accounting, right. because then the United States government would have an issue. Sure. If it's against the rest of the league, the victim would be the other clubs, and therefore the question would be, what are the set guidelines, what are the practices, um, and is he alone? And what we might simply have is an ambiguity on the league um, as to how to treat six ga- six six-game sales packages? Um, are you attributing X to marketing? Sure. Do you put your overhead in this? Right. Um, we have it with our, we have it many times. Donald Trump's reporting for insurance and taxes um, going in opposite directions, or for bank loans and taxes going in opposite directions. These kind of judgment issues are common, but the other 31 owners will know it when they see it. That's a little bit like Potter Stewart, the justice I clerked for on the Supreme Court. Right saying was pornography, he knew it when he saw it. If the other 31 owners find out that Dan was doing this in the reporting that they've done for years, too, if they say, huh, I guess we should have done that as well, that's one reaction. If they say, are you friggin' kidding me? He took that position. They will, they will um, give Pesh and, and Goodell the green light to tell him this guy has to go. So I think in a text back and forth with you last week, or it could have been somebody else, or maybe it was on our conversation, I said to you, you know, what bothers me about all of this is how much so many of us want this to be not only true, but, um, you know, bad enough for the other owners to finally act and to oust him. And... Um, and I'm not so sure we, we can answer that at this point, although I would probably lean in the direction of it probably won't amount to something that can get him ousted. But that's just my gut feel today. There may be another story later on that makes me feel differently. Um, but what I suggested last week on the show is just 
they got to be careful, you know, from this Jerry Connolly, you know, who's on the committee and doesn't want a stadium in Virginia and wears the anti, you know, Washington, you know, uh, T-shirt and um, all of this stuff. If they if they if they reach and they reach too far, it's it would be it seems impossible but there are reasonable people that are going to be like, man, they're really now kind of picking on him to a certain degree. And all of a sudden you create some sympathy for him, like a borderline sympathetic figure. And I don't think it's possible that he could become that. But I think reasonable people could say if there are enough swings and misses, like stop doing that. Focus on the thing that'll get him. Stop, you know using your, you know, anger and emotional, uh, you know, dislike for this person and what he's done to the team and focus on what you can actually get. And if you're focusing on things that, that are too far of a reach, maybe it says that what you, you were initially tasked to do isn't working very well. There's two ways this can really help Danny, as you think. One, overall sympathy, um, in that they've gone after him time and time again and missed, um, but also in distracting, if there was something. So the original sexual harassment, we don't know, but say people were, were taking those calendar outtakes because the Danny asked them to do it. And if that had ever gotten focused on, that's what he actually did wrong. Well, these distractions now are all for his, to his benefit because... They have moved on to other things, and the other things, he's innocent. That's why he jumped, perhaps, on the Tiffany Johnson. Right. Let's go focus on Tiffany Payne. And the second reason this could help him, given our country, is the one thing it wasn't, the one thing the sexual harassment schedule wasn't, was politically divided. Once we start getting into political divide, we took a pandemic and vaccines and turned them into controversies because we made them divisive between Democrats and Republicans. So now you've got Jerry Connolly and you've got Jamie Raskin, and Jamie's a dear friend of mine, fabulous congressman, but he's not exactly a favorite of the Republicans. He was the head of the House Impeachment Committee. You've got those guys as the Maryland and Virginia reps on the committee, and it's beginning to look like the Dems don't really support him and going after Carol Maloney, Jamie Raskin, Jerry Connolly. These are not um, Congress people who are, uh, who are the favorites of the Republicans. And so when it begins to look like Dan Snyder is being turned into Donald Trump, you tried to impeach me twice and you missed, and now you got this January 6th stuff, and is it once we get into that conversation, Snyder wins because it becomes this was a bunch of political stuff instead of financial wrongdoing or sexual harassment wrongdoing. What else is on your mind these days? What, what, do, well, you, what do you think about the Deshaun Watson stuff? We have not talked about that. What do you make of the contract that they signed, these 22 civil cases that are still out there? Give me your thoughts on how all of that shakes out. The minute Deshaun Watson signed that contract that said, I don't get paid the first year, basically, put it in the second year, I would have suspended him for two years and said, you are not going to make a mockery of my league. 
You are not going to. It's one thing if you sit there and say, look, obviously these 22 women felt I acted inappropriately. Um, I can't comment on that. But if there are 22 women who feel I acted inappropriately, that's enough shame on me. I'm sorry for what I've done without, obviously can't admit anything. I love the game of football. I take my punishment right. I don't manipulate the system. For him to come out and say, A, I'm going to use this. Remember, he, held, he got paid last year because he decided right after signing a contract that he was going to say, I don't like how um, the Texans organized their front office without talking to me. I'm now insulted. I'm not playing. And the answer should have been, you're not playing. You're not getting paid. And the reason that all went awry was, the sexual harassment allegations came in, right. and he was sidelined because they couldn't play him. So now they had to pay him. He was no longer holding out. It's that they couldn't play him until there was a little more clarity on the criminal side. So he got benefited by being paid. He now knows his day of reckoning is coming. He's got to get some sort of suspension. He got his full salary last year. So he knows this year he's going to be suspended, whether it's four games eight games or a season, he doesn't know. So he and Cleveland said, go ahead, Roger Goodell, go try to, go try to suspend me. I won't lose a nickel because we're going to manipulate right around the league rules. We're going to suspend me in a year where I get no money because this year I just haven't earned nothing and I earn a league record every other year. And if someone finally did that, I'd say enough of the – Inmates running the institution, you wanted to do it that way, you need to be suspended of one full year of pay. And since you organized it for no pay the first year and a lot of pay the second year, you'll have a two-year suspension. Let Cleveland protest. Let him reorganize his contract and do it fair. But that was the most offensive part to me, the, the thumbing his nose at the entire uh, league, the entire fan base, the entire female half of our planet by saying, I will profit more than anybody in history from my behavior, whether that was criminal, simply wrong, or just offensive. <laughs> I will profit historically, and that's wrong. Wow. I mean, that was I, – I, I am with you through and through. I mean, that was actually – uh, a, a very tough, maybe Republican side of the House Oversight and Committee response. There is no nothing that Deshaun Watson should get away with. Uh, I'm 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 kidding because I love. But let me just mention this: Why did the league approve the contract? That's even more insane. They ha they have to approve all of these contracts. How did they approve the contract that only pays them a million bucks in year one as a base salary to avoid being, you know, significantly fined? Um, I haven't. I'm, as you know, I'm good friends with the general counsel. We're one day soon right. I'm going to have lunch and ask him this. Um, but I suspect once again it's, it's going to be the politics and the, the back room. Remember, this is not run by a commissioner According to principles, it's run by 32 people. You've got Jerry, you've got the Cowboys. Now, Jerry Jones is up to his ears in this kind of issues. Um, you've got improper conduct at a massage parlor 
by a football-affiliated person, if we gave you that as the Jeopardy answer before Deshaun wants to come up, you'd buzz in and say, who is Robert Kraft? <laughs> <laughs> right? not, not, yes, not of course. Yeah. Right? I would have gotten that one. That would have been a $200 level double Jeopardy round question. There you go. And so the owners Easy, are saying, easy oh, question. The owners are just saying... Please, Deshaun Watson, throw some touchdowns, and let's not be it about massage powers. Please, Dan, Danny, just keep your head down. We don't want any more. How many owners have paid off people with NDAs? We thought, we thought the, they liked acronyms. NFL just sounds so cool, but the biggest acronym now existing in that league is NDA. They're full of nondisclosure agreements, right? That's what the, every owner has his we should have a revelation day one day, right after the draft. They all announced how many NDAs each of the owners had signed in their career. Because, so they just want this to pass, and Cleveland went out of their way. But I've got to tell you, I actually feel good about being a Commanders fan, because I'll tell you who wouldn't have done that. I believe people who wouldn't have done that is Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, um, Jason Wright, I don't believe we would have signed Deshaun Watson and then structured around every league rule to do it, <laughs> had a press conference and said, look, this is Cleveland. We need to win. I don't think we would have done that. So it's, it's odd to be... Well, they weren't, um, they were interested, but that's, that's <laughs> different from would they have held that press conference to say, not only did we sign him to the largest deal in the history of the league in terms of guaranteed money, but we made sure that when he gets suspended for six games that he's going to pay the least amount possible. Maybe not on that. Who knows? I, I don't think they would have gone there. I just think the, the caliber of the front office people themselves wouldn't have let it. And they had to do their due diligence, but I don't think we were close. Um, and not. By the way, when people say that we weren't close because the people were unwilling to come here. I, I assure you, if, if you pay someone double of what offer he has on the table, they will come here. So you might not be their first pick, but if you gave um, Russell Wilson an Aaron Rodgers contract in Washington versus Denver, he would find his way to Washington. So we could... Washington can get anyone. It's just they have to pay more to do it. Um, but I don't think in this case with Deshaun Watson, we would have done that. I just think Ron Rivera, when he pushed on culture forever, would have said, what are we going to do, throw out everything we've done for years? We mean culture unless you're a really good quarterback. Yeah, I, I, on your last comment, I would just say, you know, Amari Cooper would tell you otherwise because Washington offered a lot more to Amari Cooper and he stayed in Dallas. Now, you're talking about offering double the amount. And sure, if anybody's going to start offering double or, you know, a significant, you know, which is what they used to do, you know, it was well above what any other offer was out there. Nobody was ever going to give Adam Archuleta what Washington gave him. Nobody was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, you know, event, money, money talks, but um, – I, th I still think that, you know, for those with reasonable choices other than here, 
it's a tough sell for here. And I think that's what they've learned here over the last few years. And look, the only two signings they've made in this offseason are guys with Carolina ties or guys that were already here. And I think the J.D. McKissick thing was a positive thing. Um, and I do think that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio and Scott Turner and, and Jason Wright and Marty Herney and Martin Mayhew are all, you know, decent people that, you know, if the players have exposure to them as former Carolina players do with Ron and his staff and the current players do to everybody else, that it's probably not as dysfunctional as it used to be. Um, but, uh, Alex Smith certainly thinks it's dysfunctional as hell, um, but that was that's ground al- already covered. Uh, yeah, but also his noise. Remember, his noise is accurate. It is fair for any player to say it's hard in Washington for football accomplishments to dominate the headlines, given the background noise. Sure, that is true. Nothing that's he said. Given, yeah, yeah nothing true. he said was inaccurate. Nothing. Right. Right. Yeah. But. It isn't a reflection of the people they deal with daily now, the Ron Rivera's and the Marty Herney's. That, that I don't think um, – I, I, I think we're building the culture. Every time I hear a Jason Wright press conference, I am impressed. Every time I listen to um, – now, I know they've blown some of these things, but every time I listen, even on the stadium, they just lost $650 million on a stadium deal, and Jason Wright was interviewed about – you know, where they are in the stadium, and he just hit a home run. He just consistently says, you know, we're not doing this to the highest bidder. We are trying to figure out what experience should be best for where we go, where we end up, that we have a community and a team um, and a fan base that are, are left in the best position for it. I mean, the guy is good. Um, the guy is good. Now, he works for a guy we don't believe in, but Jason Wright is good, and and. The front office and the pro and the football sides, at least, at, at least, is looking at culture. Thanks for doing this, as always. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Appreciate it. All the best, Kevin. Take good care. Howard Gutman, everybody. Uh, God, I always enjoy his perspective and the conversation uh, with Howard. I wanted to finish up the show today with this sad news. I saw this very early this morning before the radio show, and I was really sad when I saw it on social media, and that was that Bruce Johnson, the longtime Channel 9 reporter, um, had passed away at the age of 71 years old. I always really liked watching Bruce Johnson, and I I was talking about this um, with my producer on radio this morning, or maybe before the show, and I said, you know, for years I've kept this list, I, and I still have it. I have a, a list of, like, guests, uh, potential guests for, like, every category of discussion. It's all, it's 95% sports-related, um, but... Um, there's like, you know, kind of a local news thing and, you know, people like Jim Vance and Doreen Gensler and, and, you know, uh, for, for years on that list was Gordon Peterson and, and Bruce Johnson's name has been on that list. I, I was lucky enough to have Jim Vance on the radio show many years ago after George Michael passed away. I'm pretty sure that's when it was. Um, and that was kind of a thrill to be honest with you. Um, because I don't know, I don't know if there was anybody cooler, 
um, in terms of delivery and demeanor than Jim Vance as a lead anchor on a local newscast. I mean, he's truly icon- you know, iconic in this market. It's funny, this market's had so many longtime people. I mean, Doreen Gensler at Channel 4 has been there since the late 80s. Sue Palka just retired. She was at Channel 5 since 1985. I would imagine that Topper Shut now has been at Channel 9 for 30 years. Um, But, you know, for so many years, it was like Gordon Peterson and Maureen Bunyan and J.C. Hayward, you know, at Channel 9 with, you know, Vance and Doreen and Bob Ryan and George Michael at Channel 4. I was always a Channel 9 guy, especially when Brenner was alive. I mean, I loved Glenn Brenner, but I watched both. Channel 7, not as much, just to be totally uh, candid, but God, Bruce Johnson was always so good, and I've always had him on this list of guys to maybe call up one day and get on the show to talk about, you know, local news or, you know, you're always looking, especially in the months of like May and June, post-draft, May and June, you're always looking for like other ideas. And I never reached out, never met him, um, but always admired from afar how likable he was, how um, he was he was incredibly professional and smart and a great storyteller as a reporter but he had that that attribute that characteristic that it's really important to have if you're going to have a 44 year run at one station in one market which is what he had I mean, he he was at Channel 9, and I didn't know that until this morning. I knew he was there forever. 1976, he was 27 years old when he got hired by Channel 9, and he's been there ever since. And, I mean, he's been in the market. He retired because he was diagnosed with cancer at the end of 2020. Um, but what a run. What an unbelievable run he had of, you know, 44 years uh, in the market. Anyway, I um, I just always liked him. I always, I mean, even my, my wife, like when I told her the news, she's like, God, we always said how much we liked him and how good he was. But he had that thing that you can't teach, you can't coach. And that is, do people like you? Do people, you know, find you, um, you know, appealing? Uh, you know, good-natured, you know, the kind of person that you'd like to hang out with and have a beer and, 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 and have a conversation with. He was always very pleasing and pleasant, in addition to being a great reporter and a great storyteller. So anyway, I saw that this morning and I just thought, damn, 71, I had no idea he had been here since 76. I would have guessed he's been here, you know, since like the 80s. Um, at some point, um, but 1976, wow, 27 years old, hired by a, 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 a top, a CBS affiliate in a top eight market in the country. Although I don't know what DC was in 1976. It was a top 10 market for sure. Um, it's grown significantly over the years, but uh, he was able to get that gig because he was damn good. So um, 22 Emmy Awards, 22 local Emmy Awards. Uh, I was reading um, on in, on his obit uh, in the Post. I mean, that's not surprising to me. That's just how good he was. Uh, but anyway, um, I didn't realize too he had a health, he had had health problems even prior to 
the cancer diagnosis. He had had a heart attack at a fairly young age. Um, but anyway, uh, rest in peace, Bruce Johnson, uh, from just a Washingtonian who's been here his whole life watching, you know, local news, not as much as I used to for sure. Um, but man, you were so good at what you did. And so to his family, he's got a wife, he's got kids, he's got grandkids. Um, our sympathies go out to them. Uh, okay. That's it for the day back tomorrow. I used to always say that everybody I know in this business is either in therapy, been in therapy or needs therapy. <laughs> this guy included and uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that you know do whatever you need to stay out there you know in the game in the contest it's time it's been a great ride spring is in the air at littleton coin company and we want to help you brighten your collection Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.